Welcome back, my friends, to this private podcast. My name is Rob Booker. I've been a day trader and a value investor for 24 years. In these episodes, I'm summarizing and directly quoting from the book Margin of Safety from Seth Klarman. He's one of the world's most successful value investors, but his book is no longer in print and it goes for over $2,000 on Amazon. In these podcast episodes, I'm summarizing the ideas and then adding a few thoughts of my own because Seth Klarman's book has been such an inspiration to me and has influenced the way that I day trade, which sounds like a paradoxical kind of thing, but especially in this episode, you'll see how some of the principles in margin of safety apply directly to those of you that are interested in day trading. Let's keep going. Number 20, expecting precision in valuation. Many investors insist on affixing exact values to their investments, seeking precision in an imprecise world. But business value cannot be precisely determined. Reporting book value, earnings, and cash flow are, after all, only the best guesses of accountants who follow a fairly strict set of standards and practices designed more to achieve conformity than to reflect economic value. Projected results are less precise still. You cannot appraise the value of your home to the nearest thousand dollars. Why would it be any easier to place a value on vast and complex businesses? Not only is business value imprecisely knowable, it also changes over time, fluctuating with numerous macroeconomic, microeconomic, and market-related factors. So while investors at any given time cannot determine business value with precision, they must nevertheless almost continuously reassess their estimates of value in order to incorporate all known factors that could influence their appraisal. Any attempt to value businesses with precision will lead to values that are precisely inaccurate. The problem is that it's easy to confuse the capability to make precise forecasts with the ability to make accurate ones. In other words, as I would say, don't overthink it. Anyone with a simple handheld calculator can perform net present value and internal rate of return calculations. The advent of the computerized spreadsheet has exacerbated this problem, creating the illusion of extensive and thoughtful analysis, even for the most haphazard of efforts. Typically, investors place a great deal of importance on the output, even though they pay little attention to the assumptions. Garbage in, garbage out is an apt description of the process. In security analysis, Graham and Dodd discussed the concept of a range of value. Quote, the essential point is that a security analysis does not seek to determine exactly what is the intrinsic value of a given security. It needs only to establish that the value is adequate. For example, to protect a bond or to justify a stock purchase, or else that the value is considerably higher or considerably lower than the market price. For such purposes, an indefinite and approximate measure of the intrinsic value may be sufficient. Indeed, Graham frequently performed a calculation known as net working capital per share, a back-of-the-envelope estimate of a company's liquidation value. His use of this rough approximation was a tacit admission that he was often unable to ascertain a company's value more precisely. Here's a note for those of you that are day traders. Some day traders want to line up so much information in their favor as to remove all risk. That's impossible. When, an when analyzing a stock that's suitable to short sell, all I'm really looking for are companies that lose money, that have a press release with some kind of BS news, and that have jumped 100%, 200%, or more. That's enough for me. 
It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's a reliable indication that the stock will fall. Let's keep going. Number 21, why margin of safety? Value investing is the discipline of buying securities at a significant discount from their current underlying values and holding them until more of their value is realized. The element of the bargain is the key to the process. Because investing is as much an art as a science, investors need a margin of safety. A margin of safety is achieved when securities are purchased at prices sufficiently below underlying value to allow for human error, bad luck, or extreme volatility in a complex, unpredictable, and rapidly changing world. According to Graham, the margin of safety is always dependent on the price paid. For any security, it will be large at one price, small at some higher price, non-existent at some still higher price. Value investors seek a margin of safety, allowing room for imprecision, bad luck, or analytical error in order to avoid sizable losses over time. A margin of safety is necessary because, well, valuation is an imprecise art. The future is unpredictable, and investors are human and do make mistakes. As a side note, here's where, for day traders, this is so important. For people buying stocks as day traders, they'll often find that they're buying at the highs after someone else has already mentioned it or talked about it or it's become well-known. This is a really easy way to lose a lot of money quickly. A day trading approach for buying stocks that I've used successfully in the past and I've watched as some traders have generated large amounts of fortune from is simply waiting for a stock that's done well in the early pre-market session to drop back down at the market open to a level that it reached earlier in the morning before the market opened. And on those bounce trades, those pullbacks, they buy those stocks. My friend Tim Sykes is famous for the morning panic pattern. There's another version of that called the bounce trade, and we could talk about that one, but all I'm saying here is that real day trader, value day traders, they're allowing room for imprecision, bad luck, or analytical error by buying at a low not a high. All right, let's keep going. Number 22, how much margin of safety? The answer can vary from one investor to the next. How much bad luck are you willing to tolerate? How much volatility in business values can you absorb? What is your tolerance for error? It comes down to how much you can afford to lose. Most investors do not seek a margin of safety in their holdings. Institutional investors who buy stocks as pieces of paper to be traded and who remain fully invested at all times fail to achieve a margin of safety. Greedy individual investors who follow market trends and fads are in the same boat. The only margin investors who purchase Wall Street underwritings or financial market innovations usually experience is a margin of peril. How can investors be certain of achieving a margin of safety? First, by always buying at a significant discount to underlying business value, and giving preference to tangible assets over intangibles. This does not mean that there are not excellent investment opportunities in businesses with valuable intangible assets. Next, by replacing current holdings as better bargains come along. Next, by selling when the market price of any investment comes to reflect its underlying value and by holding cash if necessary until other attractive investments become available. Investors should pay attention not only to whether, but also why current holdings are undervalued. It is critical to know why you've made an investment and to sell when the reason for owning it no longer applies. Look for investments 
with catalysts that may assist directly in the realization of underlying value. Give preference to companies having good managements with personal financial stakes in the business. Finally, diversify your holdings and hedge when it is financially attractive to do so. As a side note, one way to do this as a day trader, if you're buying stocks as a day trader, which is incredibly difficult, one way that you can put some odds in your favor is to follow this advice from Seth Klarman. He said, look for investments with catalysts that may assist directly in the realization of underlying value. I love small cap NASDAQ stocks that are biopharmaceutical companies that have released FDA related approval news. Approval through any part of the process, phase one, phase two, phase three. Because approvals will assist directly in the realization of underlying value and it makes the company more value. When they take the, the, the medicine to market, it's a huge plus. Next, you wanna give preference to companies like this where management owns some of the stock. You want, as, you want the executives to own the stock. You want institutions to own the stock. You can look that up on Yahoo Finance or anywhere else. You want to see that the insiders are holding that stock also. All right, let's keep going. Number 23, three elements of value investing. Number one, bottom up. Value investing employs a bottom-up strategy by which individual investment opportunities are identified one at a time through fundamental analysis. Value investors search for bargains security by security, analyzing each situation on its own merits. The entire strategy can be concisely described as buy a bargain and wait. Investors must learn to assess value in order to know a bargain when they see one. Then they must exhibit the patience and discipline to wait until a bargain emerges from their searches and buy it, regardless of the prevailing direction of the market or their own views about the economy at large. Number two, absolute performance orientation. Most institutional and many individual investors have adopted a relative performance orientation. They invest with the goal of outperforming either the market, other investors, or both, and are apparently indifferent as to whether the results achieved represent an absolute gain or loss. Good relative performance, especially short-term relative performance, is commonly sought either by imitating what others are doing or by attempting to outguess what others will do. Value investors, by contrast, are absolute performance-oriented. They're interested in returns only insofar as they relate to the achievement of their own investment goals, not how they compare with the way the overall market or other investors are faring. Good absolute performance is obtained by purchasing undervalued securities while selling holdings that become more fully valued. For most investors, absolute returns are the only ones that really matter. You cannot, after all, spend relative performance. Absolute performance-oriented investors usually take a longer-term perspective than relative performance-oriented investors. A relative performance-oriented investor is generally unwilling or unable to tolerate long periods of underperformance and therefore invests in whatever is currently popular. To do otherwise would jeopardize near-term results. Relative performance-oriented investors may actually shun situations that clearly offer attractive absolute returns over the long run if making them would risk near-term underperformance. By contrast, absolute performance-oriented investors are likely to prefer out-of-favor holdings that may take longer to come to fruition but also carry less risk of loss. Number three, risk and return. 
While most other investors are preoccupied with how much money they can make and not at all with how much they can lose, value investors focus on risk as well as return. Risk is a perception in each investor's mind that results from analysis of the probability and amount of potential loss from an investment. If an exploratory oil well proves to be a dry hole, it's called risky. If a bond defaults or a stock plunges in price, they're called risky. But if the well is a gusher, the bond matures on schedule and the stock rallies strongly, can we say they weren't risky when the investment was made? Not at all. The point is, in most cases, no more is known about the risk of an investment after it's concluded than was known when it was made. There are only a few things investors can do to counteract risk. Diversify adequately, hedge when appropriate, and invest with a margin of safety. It's precisely because we do not and cannot know all the risks of an investment that we strive to invest at a discount. The bargain element helps to provide a cushion for when things go wrong. One of the reasons when I do buy stocks, I like to buy them on a bounce. So in the morning, a NASDAQ stock, a biopharmaceutical company, announces a successful phase one completion of a cancer drug. The stock jumps in the pre-market, but then settles back down after the market opens and dips. That's the dip buy I'm looking for. It doesn't eliminate all the risk, as Seth Klarman says. What it does, though, is it gives me a better risk profile on the trade. By buying at a low on a bounce, I'm risking less if the trade goes wrong. All right, let's continue. Number 24, overpaying for growth. There are many investors who make decisions solely on the basis of their own forecasts of future growth. After all, the faster the earnings or cash flow of a business is growing, the greater that business's present value. Yet, several difficulties confront growth-oriented investors. First, such investors frequently demonstrate higher confidence in their ability to predict the future than is warranted. Second, for fast-growing businesses, even small differences in one's estimate of annual growth rates can have tremendous impacts on valuation. Moreover, with so many investors attempting to buy stock in growth companies, the prices of the consensus choices may reach levels unsupported by fundamentals. Since entry to the business hall of fame is frequently through a revolving door, investors may at times be lured into making overly optimistic projections based on temporarily robust results, thereby causing them to overpay for mediocre businesses. Another difficulty with investing based on growth is that while investors tend to oversimplify growth into a single number, Growth is, in fact, comprised of numerous moving parts which vary in their predictability. For any particular business, for example, earnings growth can stem from increased unit sales related to predictable increases in the general population, to increased usage of a product by consumers, to increased market share, to greater penetration of a product into the population, or to price increases. Warren Buffett has said, quote, for the investor, a too high purchase price for the stock of an excellent company can undo the effects of a subsequent decade of favorable business developments." End quote. All they're saying here, my friends, is that even if it's a great company, if it costs too much, don't do it. A good example right now in the present day might be NVIDIA. NVIDIA supplies many of the chip cards for artificial intelligence providers, the computers that run those large language models. But NVIDIA is up so far for so long, it has started to look like maybe, gosh, 
even if I bought it, it's a quality company, I might buy it at such a high price. The, the business could do great for the next 10 years, but that's already been priced in. A value investor is looking for stuff that hasn't been all the way priced in yet. For example, once again, if I buy a stock in the morning, it's a NASDAQ stock, it's a biopharmaceutical company, it's got a good news profile, it's got a low float, it's got a low supply of shares, but also buying it at a dip on a low, on a bounce, gives me a margin of safety. All right, when we come back, we'll complete our summary of the ideas contained in margin of safety.